If we haven't met yet, my name is Blake. I have the privilege of being um, so on staff here. I look after our, our Hope Academy. Um, so I'm really keen. If you're um, interested in Cohort 2, come see me after the service. I would love to chat and answer any and every question that you may have about that. That would be fantastic. In uh, February of 2018, my life changed forever. I discovered that there was more than just instant coffee. February 2018, like that was fresh. That's like that's only like a couple years ago. I um I literally just existed on instant for like my whole life. And in February 2018, I got introduced to proper barista-made coffee. Now, really what actually happened is my budget changed. That's what actually happened. And I was like, I can actually afford the goods now. Um, but I've never looked back. You know, just one sip. My life has changed forever. You know, good quality coffee changed me. And, um, you know, over, over the course of the last couple of years, I've in, saved a bit and invested in a nice barista coffee machine at home and um. One of, my, one of the things that my family love to joke about is that when you, when you come around to Blake and Hannah's place, um, you've got to place your order 30 minutes out because it takes Blake so long to make a coffee. And it's, for me, I mean, it's interesting. I'm like, this is just, it's just therapy for me. You know, like, I'm there, you know, weighing my beans, you know, to the point one of a gram. You know, I'm there weighing my shots. I'm timing my shots, you know, all this kind of gear at home stuff, you know, really dialing it in nicely. And um, I'm still working on the, on the milk. That's all right. Um, you know, the, the coffee's good. Uh, but um, my uncle was around at my house just yesterday. And um, he asked me for a coffee. And so I, I cooked him up one. Only took me 15 minutes. And uh, yeah, speed. And uh, we, uh, I hand it to him, and he's not the most enthusiastic guy, not the most, you know, um, communicative kind of fella, and I hand it to him, and he takes a sip, and he literally looks at me, looks down at the coffee, double takes, and he goes like this, he goes, this is a really good coffee, and I was like, six years of bad baristering has paid off, you know, I'm finally there, you know, where people are blown away by a pretty decent cup of coffee. And I was like, if only the rest of my family were here to see this moment. You know, I've been, I've been trying to have that moment with them, but it hasn't yet occurred. But here's, here's, here's the thing, right? I don't mind that it takes me 30 minutes to make a good cup of coffee, and it doesn't, it only takes me about 15 minutes. But anyway, got to wait for the boiler to heat up. For those that know, you know, right? But because um, I'm, I'm convinced that good things take time. Good things take time. You know what I mean? And it's okay. If this coffee is it's going to be worth it, right? It's going to take time. And now, instant coffee for me is almost like, it, it, it's when I have no, no other option, or I think I have no other option, that I'll resort to something, you know, cheap and quick, right? And, and this evening, the title of my message, yeah, last week, Pastor Ryan bought a killer message, um, and it was in the health train. It was, you know, easy and light. And so he was trying to help us with, you know, our, our, our physiques and stuff. And um, this evening, I want to follow that. And so I'm trying to help you tonight and say, no more instant coffee. Right? No more. Right? It's time just to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? From this day onwards, no more instant coffee. All right? When you have that tempting to get that quick fix, right? When you think, you know what? I don't have any other options. I want to encourage you to wait because sometimes good things take time. There's this um, quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, uh, 
this about the Lord. He said, never could there be a better master. For to serve him is freedom. And to be ruled by him is to be loved. Never could there be a better master. Because to serve him is actually freedom. And to be ruled by him is actually to be loved by him. Somewhere along the lines, though, I'm very aware that we kind of lose sight of this. And we start to think that serving the Lord looks a little bit like slavery. Doesn't it look like freedom sometimes? We're like, Lord, it looks a little bit like obligation. Sometimes serving the Lord doesn't always feel like, for some perhaps, you know, that His rule is love. I know at least before I came to know the Lord, that's what I thought about God. I thought that it was slavery to serve Him, and I thought that His rulership was a little tyrannical, and I was like, I'm not really sure if I'm all on board with this whole God thing until I met Him, until I encountered Him, and things changed forever. But the reality is, I know that there's still areas of my life that I sometimes willfully turn a deaf ear to the Lord in. Areas of my life or areas of scripture that I'm like, God, when you tell me to live my life like that, when you say this is a principle of life that you can, you can honestly live by and, and it will bring you into the abundant life that I promised you, sometimes I'm like, God, I'm just not sure about it. I kind of think that I might be able to figure out a better way. And so I'm just going to turn the page. I'm just going to turn the page on, on that principle there. And uh, I'm just going to head down another path. And, and one of the major areas that I think we do this often in is in regards to our finances. And it's in regards to our possessions. And, you know, we're, we're wrapping up a series on generosity this evening. And I want to just encourage you from the outset that, that generosity isn't just, isn't just about our finances and our possessions. And we're going to talk about those things this evening for a specific reason. I'll explain. But I want to encourage you, we can be so generous with our time. And honestly, for some, the most generous act that you could possibly give, perhaps in this moment, for someone in your life is actually give them time. Give them time. Carve out time in your week to sit with them, to be on the phone with them, to, to spend time with them. You can be generous with your words. Be generous with your words towards others. And I mean in, in, in like positive words. You know, not like, not like, not like words that tear down and, and destroy you, but like actually like encouraging words, right? Like honestly, we live, in, we live in a world where people are really fighting for just knowing that they're loved, right? And, and, and to be generous, be generous with your words of kindness, right? Let people know that they're awesome. Be generous with your thoughts towards others, You know, the Bible tells us that his thoughts towards us, talking about God, are more numerous than the grains of sand in all the sea, which means it's a lot. God's thinking about us a lot, right? And I know even just in my own life, and you might not be the same, but for me, sometimes I get get caught up a lot thinking just about myself, my world, my family, my needs, my situation. But imagine if we actually could create some space in our life, create some margin in our life. You were like, no, Lord, lead my thoughts right now. Lead my mind to, to, to think about who you might want me to bless, who you want me to perhaps catch up with this week or send just an encouraging text. But we also need to deal with this, 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 this grip 
that finances and possessions have on our life. This, this, this constant um, rat race that we seem to be caught in to get more, 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 more. And if we don't have on a certain scale that we've decided we need to have in, then we don't have what we need. And you know, we might not be hitting the goals in life that we should be at. And we live by this thing of comparison and it's really de- discouraging and all this kind of stuff. And so we, we really want to deal with that this evening and see a little bit of freedom in that space. I want, to, I want you to understand, though, regarding generosity, that it is not just something that we tick off our to-do list each day. It's not like you're like, hey, pastor once said that I've got to be generous. And, you know, so I was, at, I was at work and, you know, I was like, you know what? Hey, I'll shout this person a coffee. Great, done. Shouted them a coffee. Generous, generosity for today, tick. Right? That's perhaps the beginning. But generosity... I think is actually the lifestyle of the redeemed. It's the lifestyle of the redeemed. It's just living bigger lives. Living a life where it's not just about us. It's not just about me, my patch. It's actually about others. And our worlds are open and wanting to bless and encourage and strengthen those around us. And we're constantly on the lookout for who we can encourage, who we can, instre- who we can strengthen. You know, I, I think it's impossible... To actually know the Lord, the one who is so incredibly kind, incredibly generous, and not have it begin to wear off a little bit on you. I think it's impossible to come into relationship with the God who gave it all to know us and not begin to have his generous heart kind of rub off on ours. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He kind of, he is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. And He's talked about finances, he's talked about giving, he's talked about so many different things. He's, and, and he gets to this point at the very end. And, and I really feel like he was just, he, I, he, may, he may have lingered in this moment when he said this line, but sometimes we just kind of brush over it. It's in Matthew 6, verses 25. It's almost like he's asking this rhetorical question, but it's so helpful. He says this, he's like, Is not life more? Is not life more than just what you eat is not more than food and is not the body more than clothes. And I feel like he probably would have actually lingered on this, this, this question. He would have gone, really? Why do we get so caught up in life being just about what we eat, what we wear, how we look, what we obtain, what we gain? When did life become just about those things? I feel like you're sitting there going, is not life more than this? Is not life more than this? But if we're not careful, we can literally get caught up in what we put in our body, what we do with our body, what our body wants, the pleasures that our body desires. And making that the be-all and end-all of what it means to be human. We seek these things. And our life is oriented around my desires. And he's going, is not life more than that? And that's where, really where we want to track this evening. I believe at the end we're going to open up this, this altar to pray for people. Just to get set free from, from the grip, from the need of more, more, more. And actually come up higher. Come up higher. Where you realize Jesus is saying, hey, life, your life, your life is about so much more than just what I can get and what I can experience, what I can feel. Your life is about so much more than those things. One of the wrestles I think we have, though, 
is how we actually develop trust. How we learn to trust something or someone. In society and in relationships, we develop trust based off returns. So in society, it's like, I, I, I took on that advice or I hear, heard about that process for how I should use my money or what I should do with my possessions and I saw some returns on it and so I'll keep investing in it. I'll keep trusting it. I'll put my faith in it. And it's the same with our, with our relationships, right? When you see those returns in relationship, when, when that person gives back to you, that's when we go, sweet, I'll keep investing. I'll keep trusting this person. I'll keep putting my faith in this relationship. And the issue is, however, we begin to take that process of how we develop trust by based off returns that we got, and we begin to impose it onto our relationship with God. That's where things start to get real risky and real tricky in our walk with the Lord. Because nine times out of ten, what we're actually saying is, God, I have desired returns on my desired agenda, on my desired timeline. And if I don't see those returns, Lord, from trusting in your principles for life, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep putting my faith in you. And the fallout occurs when you begin to realize pretty quickly that God's timeline for all your hopes and dreams and your savings account is a bit different to yours. Right? It's a bit different. But He's doing stuff. He's doing something deeper in our lives through asking us to trust Him in those areas and to trust that He might just know better. But this is where we can begin to doubt that His service is freedom. God, I've been trusting in your principles. It doesn't really feel like freedom. It feels like slavery. It feels like obligation. God, I'm not really sure if, if, if being ruled by you is love. Because if you, if you actually loved me, you'd know that I have a desire to one day be married or I have a desire to one day buy this house or the number one goal of all Australians, I don't know if you knew this, is to own a boat. It's like the, it's like the rate's the highest, right? As like the thing that Australians want, right? It's like, it's not a car, it's not a house. Like beyond that, it's actually a boat. Like this is the dream thing for Aussies, right? Is to own a boat, right? And we get to this place where we're like, God, if you, if you knew my heart's desire, that I actually want all of these things, why, why is it not happening? I'm trusting you. I'm trusting in your principles for life, but I'm not seeing the returns right now. And, and, and this is where we can begin to feel like, God, I'm not really sure if being under, coming under your lordship has actually been loved by you. Because it feels like you don't really care about me. But what's really happening Honestly, 9 times of 10, what's really happening is that God is doing a deeper work within you or He wants to do a deeper work within you before He can actually bless you with those things because your character can't actually sustain the blessing that He wants to bring into your life at this moment in time. And so He's saying, I actually need to do a deeper work in your character. I need you to learn to trust in me even when you don't see what's happening all around you because I'm getting you ready to actually walk in what I have for you. The thing is, if you look at God's principles, oh my goodness. If you look at God's principles for life, I don't know if you've ever actually just done this. 
look at God's principles through any other lens other than faith. And they literally look like the silliest principles for life. Like generally, if, if, you're, if you read the Bible through any other lens other than faith, and you get to Jesus' principles for life in the Sermon on the Mount, you're just like, dude, that doesn't track, mate. That doesn't make sense. Like that's a zero-sum game. You know, when he's like, hey, 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 if someone comes to you and makes you give them your cloak, give them your pants as well. <laughs> you're like, Jesus, that's dumb. Like, like if, if you look at it through any other lens other than faith, it doesn't make sense, right? When, when Jesus is like, hey, when someone comes and asks you for some money, lend to them without expecting return. Without faith, that doesn't make sense. That's literally a deficit game, right? But this is the, the principles for life that Jesus it begins to call us to. He says, bless those who persecute you. God, I'm not sure about that. I like canceling those who persecute me. You know, even just challenge me. Even just think differently to me, right? He says, if someone makes you go three miles, Go the fourth with them as well. It doesn't make sense, God. That principle for life doesn't make sense. In any other way, except when you look at it through the lens of faith, when you look at it through the lens of trusting in Him, that He might just know better than us. And in the kingdom, this is where we've got to really be aware. In the kingdom, trust isn't built upon returns. It's built upon the character of God. This is how we actually have trust in the kingdom. We go, God, you are trustworthy in and of yourself. And so my faith and my trust is not placed in returns. It's actually placed in your character. It's placed in who you are. It's who you've been revealed to be throughout the, the eons of years that we have are recorded throughout Scripture, your character, your nature revealed through the pages of the Bible. We, that's how we begin to know how to trust the Lord. But often we can think that we may know better. We're slammed with a, um, a pervading ideology these days. C.S. Lewis coined it. It's called chronological snobbery. Isn't that a delicious word? A delicious phrase. You know, chronological snobbery. Chronological meaning like literally date of birth. Um, you know, chronological Snobbery, and snobbery meaning, you know, nose up, I think I know better than you, right? Why? Simply because I was born later than you, right? But he, he, he coined it because he actually had this great insight that the, the, the modern generations were beginning to have access to more and more information than previous generations, right? And obviously C.S. Lewis ain't around anymore, so he, like, he hasn't even seen the internet and the power that each of us have in our hands right now, where you literally can Google... Way better teaching than what you're listening to right now. But you can literally, could, um, you literally, like, hey, hey, hey. But thanks, thanks, guys, thanks, guys, thanks. Oh, you're pumping up my tires here. But listen, we, we literally have access to the world's knowledge in the palm of our hands, right? Literally, the world's knowledge, and not just from this year, but literally from since stuff began to be recorded, right? We literally have access to it in the palm of our hands. And here's what he said because this modern generation have more access 
and more quicker access to more information and knowledge, they think that they know better than their elders. They think that they know better than the people in their world. And it's called chronological snobbery. What's wild is I think that often we would rather trust some survey or research program that was done on another part of the world than the lived experience of our parents. Then the lived experience, if you, don't, if you don't have a relationship with your parents, then when the, with mentors, trusted mentors in your life, people that are older than you, the people that have run this race a little bit longer than you, we would rather trust a research thing that was done over in somewhere else, maybe in Australia, right? Then actually trust in the lived experience of elders in our lives. We would rather trust a, some, something that we can research on the internet than the lived experience of spiritual elders that God has placed in our life. We come to perhaps a church meeting like this with the idea of literally like, you know, it's like a little side dish. I'll just, I'll just take what I want when I want. It's all good. Let me tell you, the blessing of actually being part of a Christian community is when you truly submit to the teaching, submit to the leadership of it. And you say, I'm going to come under it. I'm going to trust it. But we, we're stuck with this, this, this thing where we've replaced experience for information. Instead of trusting in the lived experience of people that have gone before us and actually said, you know what? I can't explain to you. Think of like someone who's old in your world. Might be a grandparent. Might be your, fa- might be your parents. And they're like, son, I can't tell you how it works. I can't explain it to you. But all I know is like what David said at the very end of his life. He said, One thing I've seen, when I look back, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. I don't know how it works. I don't know how God does what he does. But I know that you just got to trust in the principles for life that God has laid out. Right? You just got to trust it. But the issue is, we would rather just find some information. And I think the reason we'll just go and find that research is because you can argue with information, but you can't argue with lived experience. It's just like a straight up, this is truth, mate. This is just reality. But often we go and find information because you can bend information to your bias. And so like, I'm, I'm going I'm to go and keep finding the research article that tells me it's bad to be part of a, a church. And I'm going to go part, find a, a research article that tells me it's bad to, to live by God's principles. I'm going to go and choose to live by these principles because this a research article told me that it was better. Why? Because we're actually feeding the biases within us. At the end of the day, we end up with this crisis called the death of expertise. It's the death of the expert. People that are actually experts in those areas of life, we stop trusting them. And we start trusting in someone who's famous. Someone who's got a lot of followers on TikTok. They must have great advice for life. But instead of actually trusting in someone who's an expert in actual areas of life, we have the death of expertise that affects and and informs our choices and our decisions and how we live our life. But often, often, and this is the scary part, this extends to God. Jesus, you walked the earth 2,000 years ago. We've progressed 
We've progressed since then, Jesus. We've learnt a lot since then, Jesus. We've learnt more, Jesus. You, you weren't quite, didn't quite have access to all the information and knowledge that we now have. We've progressed since then, Jesus. You're, you're kind of no longer relevant because of the date that you were born in. We've learnt more now. So you're kind of irrelevant, Jesus. Your teaching's kind of irrelevant. And uh, you might not know this, it was some good teaching, Jesus, but you're actually no longer the expert on life. Because I can, I can Google Jordan Peterson. Right? I can pull up his 12 rules and then, and then another 12 rules. Right? And I, I, can learn from, I can learn from him. I mean, he, he's, Jesus, you don't even have any degree. I, I, I can tune into people that are like clinical psychologists. I can tune into people that are clinical sociologists, that people tell me how to actually run my life. You know, all this kind of gear. Jesus, you're actually no longer the expert in this. Can you hear what I'm saying? 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 to 20 says, Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become what people are call fools. That's why he puts it in inverted commas. You should become what people call fools these days. People that trust in the Lord's principles. You should become a fool so that you actually may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Paula with the heavy right hook. The reality is we need to adjust our perspective from instant to ancient. We've got to adjust our perspective from instant to ancient. We've got to stop going to the cheap, quick, instant coffee. Right? We've got to say, you know what? Sometimes good things actually take time. And I'm going to commit to the journey, even when I don't understand everything that's happening. I understand that when I put my weight on your principles, God, you are working in ways that I might not actually see right now, even in this stage or phase of your life. You've got to understand that when you trust in the Lord's principles, He doesn't just see the next paycheck. He doesn't just see the next month. He doesn't even just next see the next stage of your life. He sees the end of your life. And He says, I know how to get you there to the best possible outcome. And you need to stay the course right here. And just trust me along the way. Just dig in deep. Don't turn and twist to something instant. Trust in someone ancient. Someone ancient. God is not an outdated source of information for our lives. He is not an outdated. He is called the Ancient of Days. And for every single one of those days, He has never wavered and never faltered in His love, in His um, commitment and His faithfulness towards you and towards me. God is not just an observer. If you're a Marvel fan, He's not just the watcher. Right? Just hanging out there, just looking on at what's going on down in the world beneath him. He is actually called the author of life. Acts 3, Peter, Acts 3, Apostle Peter preaches and he says he is the author of life itself. In other words, he is the expert of all experts. Any expertise that we think we have gained is actually because he released 
some wisdom. He released some insight. He released some knowledge. He gave some revelation. And then we got puffed up with that knowledge and thought we came to that all by our little selves. Right? He is the expert of expert. Anything, even the capacity to even know comes from Him. The capacity to even think comes from Him. He is the expert of all experts. And guess what? He is the beginning and the end. So he never gets outdated. We can never, he, there's no chronological snobbery to occur because there's nothing to be snobbish about. He's literally over here looking backwards and saying, hey, this is actually how life works. These principles actually will lead you to the abundant life if you will just trust me. Psalm 119 verses 89 and 96 says this. And it's a ripper of a psalm. He says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. For all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Isn't that such a great insight into me, myself, and I that it will actually end up in our own affliction? We will perish by our own affliction. It says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. And he says this, to all perfection, I see a limit. But your commands are boundless. Your commands are boundless. In other words, there is no end to their relevance. There is no end to their relevance. There is nothing that can surpass them and there's nothing that can usurp them. He has the final say. He is the author of life itself. Daniel Flynn, the founder of Thank You, um, just put up a post this week, which I just took a moment. I was like, I'm going to like this a few times. You know, so he's getting a couple of notifications, you know. But um, he says this. He says, it takes time to live, to learn, and then have any authority to suggest to others that the insights you found may actually be of value. Within a few seconds, you can get ChatGPT to write thought leadership on your behalf. But lived leadership cannot be found by AI. And lived requires something of you that our culture has fought hard to try and defeat. Time. But time takes time. Time takes time. Good things take time. And he said this, resist culture and embrace time. Embrace time. Resist instant and embrace ancient. Embrace ancient. We have to understand. Man, God is the one who created everything. Everything. Colossians 1 actually tells us that everything is actually held together in Him. So maybe... Just maybe, if he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Just maybe he might know what he's talking about. 
than just living a life that's just about getting, getting, obtaining, gaining. It's actually saying it's blessed to give. It's blessed to go the extra mile. It's more blessed to give of your tunic or your cloak or whatever as well. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's what I think we've got to wrestle with. When Jesus speaks, it isn't just a nice idea. It isn't just good teaching. And this is where so much of our world relegates Jesus. He was a good teacher. He had some really good things to say. He's the author of life, mate. He's the, in other words, he wrote how reality actually works. But we think it's just another opinion on how we could live our life. Jesus is like, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you that life is about more than just what you put in your body, what you put on your body, and what you do with your body. I'm trying to tell you this. I'm trying to tell you that this thing actually works. If you, It's more blessed to give than to receive. But we're like, nah, it's, 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 yeah, it's one option. Man, we're selling ourselves short. I'm going to invite the team to come and join me. There's this thing that psychologists have, have coined. They call it the, the hedonistic treadmill. And I love it. Hedonism is literally like the pursuit of all of our own personal pleasures. And psychologists have coined this, the the hedonistic treadmill, and it's, it's the perfect image of what life is like when your number one priority is our own pleasure, our own gain. Because it's literally like running on a treadmill. You get nowhere of meaning. You get nowhere of actual substance in life. You stay stuck in one spot. You don't grow you don't kick those goals. You keep chasing this, this thing in front of you, but you end up in nowhere of substance or of meaning. The hedonistic treadmill will grant you temporary happiness, but it will cost you a life of meaning and purpose. This is where we want to get free tonight. Free us from the treadmill. Free me from that addiction to instant. I'm done with it. I want to trust ancient. Now, I honestly reckon that the devil loves to drag followers of Jesus off course. Just bit by bit. Week by week. Conversation by conversation. Disappointment or discouragement or bitterness here, bitterness there, offense here, hurt there. The devil just loves to drag followers of Jesus just slightly off course. His favorite tactic is is half-truths. Half-truths. Since the beginning of time, literally shows up in the garden with some fruit and he dangles it in front of Eve. Hey, Eve, look at this fruit. This is me running, by the way. It's about, about all I do. Look at this fruit. It looks good, doesn't it? It looks pleasing to the eye. And in fact, in fact, Eve, you won't surely die. It's a half truth. Because they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. You won't surely die. In fact, in fact, Eve, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. Wow. 
If you eat of this, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil, right from wrong, and you'll be able to decide for yourself what leads to life. You'll be able to decide for yourself the best way to live your life. You don't actually have to trust in God's principles for life. You actually can begin to choose your own way of living. So come on. And hey, you don't even need to take, eat the whole thing. You can just take a little bite of it. Just take a little bite of it. Even, and then go share it with Adam. Ooh, just share it around. Say, hey, I found, I found this way for doing life. It, it's, it's not God's way, but you know what? It's a quick way to this outcome, this return that I want. And so you know what? You just, just have a little bite of this thing. You can choose for yourself how you end up wherever you want to end up. It works a charm at watering down our trust in Him. It works a charm at dividing the attentions of our hearts. We hear the Lord saying, come, trust in me. Come, trust in me. I want to do a deep work in your life that sets you up for something better. But we go, oh, but there's a quick fix in here. And it's, it's appealing to my eye. It's appealing to my body. My body wants this, this fruit, this pleasure that's dangled in front of me. My body wants that. I think it'll feel good if I go there, God. Hebrews 11 says this and we'll close Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 2 it's the the passage that describes and actually defines what faith is what actually is faith and trusting in God I love the way the message version puts it he says this the fundamental fact get it fundamental fact of existing is that this trust in God this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. This is what actually makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we cannot see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. By the very definition of what faith is, it means you will not actually be able to see the full picture until you're living in it. But often we want the return now. We want to see the full picture before we even commit to it and trust in Him. It's not how faith works. It's not how God's principles work. You just got to be okay with, Lord, I don't know how. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know all the turns left and right. But I know you. And my trust is not in a, in a system. My trust is not in a process. My trust is not in a life hack. My trust is in you. Someone who's ancient. And someone who even actually wrote how reality even works. Why don't we stand to our feet across this place. I told you along the way that this evening... I want to open up this altar to pray for freedom. Freedom. For anyone that's just felt, man, I have been caught up in the rat race. I've been caught up in the hustle. And you know what, God? I want to re-surrender. I want to re-surrender every area of my life to you, especially in this this pursuit of my my own pleasures, my own um, 
attaining, my own gaining, my own getting. I want to relinquish it all back to you, God, and say, help me trust you in a deeper way this evening. Help me trust you. So I'm going to open this up in a second and we'll pray. We'd love to stand with you and pray with you. But I want to make an opportunity for anyone here this evening. Yeah, I've been talking about how my life changed when I came to know the Lord. And that serving Him was actually freedom from my life. And being ruled by Him was actually being loved by Him so deeply. And you might be here this evening and you have never encountered Him. And tonight you might be saying, Blake, you know what? I'd love to actually meet Him. I'd love to actually give my life to the Lord and surrender to His rulership. You know, the the cross... It's a life-changing thing. All of our sin taken. All of His grace and forgiveness given. And tonight, if you're here this evening and you have never said, Father, forgive me for doing things my own way. Forgive me for thinking I know better. And tonight, I want to come and know You. I want to surrender my life for the first time. Then this evening, I want to make an opportunity right now for you to do that. I'm going to ask just for every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. I'm going to be looking around because I want to know who I'm praying for. But if you're here this evening and you're saying, Blake, would you pray for me? I want to surrender my life to the Lord. Would you just raise your hand up right now where you're standing? Just shoot it up nice and high so I can see. Blake, that's me tonight. I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm surrendering for the first time. My life is not my own. I was bought with the price of the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fantastic.